Good morning, Red Hills Church. How are you doing this morning? Good. So good to see you. Who said that over here? I'm going to preach to you, man. That was great. Hey, we want to welcome everyone online. Can we give it up for everyone watching online? We're so glad you're watching with us today. Uh, my name's Aaron Hanson. I'm the lead pastor. Uh, and at our church, I like to say this, it's okay to not be okay. That you can come as you are and our hope is that you're changed by Jesus. There's something I've been thinking about in this phrase, it's, not o- it's okay to not be okay. But uh, I want to add something to it. But it's not okay to stay that way. Because Jesus wants to change your life. And he wants to come in and the Holy Spirit wants to move in your life. Well, I'm excited for this morning to close out our series called The Five. The five most important decisions that you'll ever make. Uh, We learned and discovered this, that um, every single day you make tens of thousands of decisions every day. Most things you do not remember or think about, they become automatic in your life. But over the course of your lifetime, you will make one billion decisions in your life. And so I had the audacity to take the one billion decisions you make and bring it down to five most important decisions of your entire life. And there are around five themes that I've discovered uh, that are important to us. It was around our faith, Uh, We talked about our family. We talked about our friends. Last week we talked about our finances. And today we're going to talk about our future. And here is the reality. That their destination is determined by the decisions that you make. Your destination in life, your trajectory is determined by your decisions. It is not determined by your intentions. It is not determined by your wishes. It is not determined by what you hope for. It is determined by the decisions that you walk in all the things that uh, God has asked you to do. And so today we're going to talk about the future. And really today is a culmination of everything that we've learned about in the previous five weeks or four weeks. It's going to incorporate all of that in the future. How many of you remember the question as a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? All right. It, it, It seems like that is ingrained in who we are. I think it's about preschool is that we start asking kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And how many of you know that most times when we ask people what they want to be when they grow up, by the way, before I get into that, how many of you still don't know what you want to be when you grow up? All right, got some of you. So when we ask people what you want to be when you grow up, we're primarily talking about their occupation. Are you with me? What do you want to do? Like, what, what, what do you want to be? And most of my friends growing up, they wanted to be, you know, the heroes of society, the, the police officers, uh, the, the firefighters, the nurses and doctors. Uh, and I could not remember for the life of me what I wanted to be when I grow, grew up, when I was little. I knew one thing for certain is that I didn't want to be a pastor, all right? And God has uh, a funny way of uh, working that into my life. But I, I asked my mom recently, I said, Mom, what did I want to be? when I grew up, like when I was a kid. What did I say? And she started laughing. She goes, Aaron, she said, you wanted to be a garbage man. (laughs) And once she said that, I realized why. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Uh, Because back in my day, 
uh, the, the garbage man rode on the back of the truck, all right? And he held the handle, and it was old-fashioned, and put the, the garbage into the dump truck. And I thought, man, that would be the best job in the world. Like, let's talk about working outdoors. And she said, she, she was kind of laughing. She goes, Aaron, she goes, you know what? Uh, you, you're actually doing what you wanted to be. And I said, what do you mean, Mom? She said, well, you're, you're helping people sort out the garbage in their life and putting it behind them. And I thought, you know what? That might be the best description of a pastor that I've ever heard. <laughs> helping people sort through their junk and garbage in life, put it behind, and focus on the future. Listen, I want to talk about the future today. I want to talk about the future a lot of us are future-oriented. I don't know if it's nature or nurture, but I personally am future-oriented. I am always thinking about the future and thinking about what God has. And I think it's important to think about the future. And where we're going today is I want to think about the future of your life. And I want to, uh, to talk to you about developing a vision for your life, a vision for your life. He, here's why. How you see the future will determine how you seize the future. How you see the future, what you see in the future will determine how you step into the future, how you walk into the future and seize the future that you have. So the picture you see in the future, good, bad, or ugly, largely determines how you step into it. You begin to walk into the future that you see. And the Bible is future oriented. You know, the Bible is one, it's actually a collection of books, 66 books, primarily about the future. Think about it. From the very beginning, it talks about the future. And to the very end, it talks about the future. Ultimately, about us spending eternity with Jesus. It is taking us and teaching us to look what God is going to do in the future. The Bible is a prophetic book. And when I use the word prophetic, I mean something very specific, all right? Prophecy in the New Testament is not fortune telling. Prophecy in the New Testament is declaring some, over somebody what God wants for their life, what could be and what should be. And you have the ability, if anyone speaks over you and encourages you with the word of God, you have the ability to choose and walk into what God has for you. The Bible is future-oriented. It is one big prophetic promise over your life. I want to give you a few verses just to start out here. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 43, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And you notice it doesn't say, if you pass through the waters, if you walk through the fire. The Bible assumes that we're going to go through tough things in this life. All right? But it's future oriented. I will be with you. I want to take you to the words of Joshua towards the end of his life. This is what he said to the nation of Israel. He said, now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul, listen to this, that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. My favorite chapter in the entire Bible is Joshua chapter one. Why is that? 
Because there, it is full of the promises of God. And I read Joshua 1 and I think I want to walk in the same promises that God gave Joshua and the same promises that he gave Israel. Listen, God says that he's going to bring about his promises as his people walk forward in the path he set out for them. Can I tell you something? If you're a follower of Jesus, the future is bright and hopeful for you. Some of you need to hear that because we are dominated by a culture that likes to sensationalize the news and 99% of the news that we read and hear is negative, all right? But the future for followers of Jesus is hopeful. The future is bright. Uh, and, um, uh, and today I wanna talk about developing a legacy, a vision and a legacy, leaving a legacy of your life, leaving a legacy of your life. I wanna talk about the end of your life. We're gonna fast forward to the future. I wanna fast forward to the last day of your life. Some of you, that's nearer than others. Some of you are wondering, I can't even picture the end of my life or towards the end of my life, but that's what I wanna to do today. And I wanna talk about our legacy and I wanna talk about leaving a legacy. The reality is this, is that every person in this room will leave a legacy, but you get to decide what kind of legacy that you leave. All right, everyone leaves a legacy, and a legacy isn't always positive. A legacy can be negative, but you decide what kind of legacy you want to leave to your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Most people that leave a legacy are not intentional about the legacy that they leave. So whether you're 60 or whether you're 20, you will leave a legacy, and I think it's important for you to start thinking about the legacy that you want to leave. The reality is this, is that the legacy you leave is shaped by the life that you lead. The legacy you leave is shaped by the life that you lead. The most important things that you leave behind to your children are not your possessions. Let me say that again. The most important thing you leave behind is not your money. You know, I noticed something in, in, in my own family and things that I've seen is that as people get older, they really want to leave an inheritance for their kids. They want to leave money behind for your kids. Let me just say something. Your kids don't need money. All right? Your kids need your character. They need to see you following Jesus. The legacy you leave, it, it's not, they're not going to remember your possessions. They're going to remember who you are. Are you with me? And so it becomes important how you live your life. It becomes important the decisions that you make every day. Leaving a legacy is ending your life well. And I know some of you are saying, oh, I'm young. It's hard to think about the end of my life. But it's important that you begin to think at the end. And even if you're just starting your life out, that's important. Here's what I want to do. I want to start off talking about the Apostle Paul's legacy. He left a legacy for us. In fact, he wrote about uh, to his, uh, his protege, Timothy. He wrote this uh, letter in 2 Timothy, and it was one of the last things that Paul wrote, and he knew he was ending, coming to the end of his life. And this is what he said to Timothy. He says, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. At the end of my life, I want to be able to say that. I have fought the good fight, I have uh, finished the race, and I have remained faithful. I want to point out three things in what Paul says. The first thing is this, is that life is a fight. If you haven't figured that out already, uh, then it's time to wake up and realize that life is a battle in multiple ways. 
We know that you're in a spiritual battle, right? This is why whenever you take steps forward into what God has for you, it feels like there's resistance. Anybody with me? All right, the moment you start saying yes to Jesus, it seems like your life gets harder. Why is that? Because the enemy doesn't want you to move forward. And so look at resistance in your life, not as something bad, but something that you are walking into the plans of God. Life is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. We are at war spiritually. But not only that, we pray for people every single week. We read our prayer requests requests, and we pray for our church family. Life is a physical battle. There are some people that are battling for their health. There are people we pray over that are battling cancer. People that we pray over that are battling uh, an illness that they don't even know what's happening. Some people are in a physical battle. Some of you are in an emotional battle. You're battling anxiety or depression. Uh, you're, You're battling something in your mental health. Listen, my point is this. Life is a battle. We cannot shy away from the fact that we are in a fight. But here's what I want to say to you. With Jesus, we win. With Jesus, we win. Every battle you face can be won with Jesus. So life is a fight. Paul says this, life is a race. Life is a race. Now, it's not the rat race of the American dream. All right, try to work as much as you can, save up for a house. All right, that's really hard to do these days. Uh, and, uh, and save as much as you can. Start retirement right away so that when you're 65, you can live the good life. All right, Uh, that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a race to the finish line. What's the finish line? The finish line is heaven. It's eternity with Jesus. And it's not a sprint to get there, it's a marathon to get there. And he says, I have finished the race. He's on the doorstep of death, and for him it's a celebration because he knows what's on the other side. You know, the only time I ever got booed at church is when I said something like this. I think I was 33 when I came here. <laughs> and I thought I knew everything. And I said, I don't know many people who are excited for eternity. And a certain group and generation began to boo. And it was, I don't use the word older crowd, I use the word season. They were our season folks. And I realized it's because the people I was spending time with. The younger you are, you don't anticipate eternity. But as you mature and as you age and as your body begins to break down, like you start to look uh, forward to what Jesus has for you. And Paul says, I finished the race. Like I'm almost there. And that's victory on the other side. So life is a fight. Life is a race. And faithfulness, what is faithfulness? Faithfulness is this, I want you to catch this. It is running the right race and is fighting the right fight. Listen, the the question I wanna ask you today is are you running the right race and are you fighting the right fight? We can easily get caught up in our culture and fighting battles that God has never asked us to fight. And I want to tell you, if you're fighting battles that God has asked not, you, uh, asked, uh, not asked you to fight, then you're going to wear yourself down. And maybe it's, uh, uh, we have chosen lots of different things to, uh, to, to battle in our culture today with everything that's happened the last two years. We've chosen things to fight against or things to fight for. Are you choosing the right fight? What is the right fight in the gospel story? 
The right fight in the gospel story is fighting for the, the brokenhearted and the disenfranchised. It's fighting for the hurt and the broken and those who need healing the most. It's fighting for those who haven't heard the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Are you with me? Have you, are you fighting the good fight? Are you running the right race? Life is a fight. Life is a race. Faithfulness is fighting the right fight and running the right race. And there is one thing that will keep us from living a legacy or leaving a powerful legacy that we can be proud of, that our children can be proud of. And it's this, it's when we focus too much on the past and when we look backward. It's interesting because I told you the Bible is a future-oriented book. And the only time the Bible talks about the past is to remind you of what God did so that you can begin to step into the future. It's not to remind you of what you did. It's not to remind you of the glory days of the past. It's to remind you of what God did in a season of the past so that you can have faith and confidence to what he has for you in the future. One of, uh, one, of, uh, one of my favorite books that I've read in the last few years is I read this book by Erwin McManus. He's a pastor in Southern California, and he wrote this book called Leave Nothing for the Next Life. And he talks about this concept of, of looking backwards, and he's talk, he talks about it, about walking backward in the future. I want to read what he says in this book. He says, I have found the church walking strangely backward into the future. The church has become an institution that preserves the past and fears the future. It is not an overstatement to say that the church has become a reflection of what we are running from than what we are running to. No wonder we have lost our power to change the world. No wonder the church has lost its magnetism to the world. We are seen as guardians of tradition. The church is known for fighting the future than creating the future that humanity desperately needs. I love that picture that he gives of walking backwards in the future. When you walk backwards in the future, you don't see what's coming. When you walk backwards into the future, you're not intentional about your life. When you walk backwards into the future, you attempt to preserve the past and what has happened. You ever heard somebody say, oh man, I wish church could be like what it was in the past. All right, when I, when I was a youth pastor, my, my senior pastor told me this story where uh, a group in his church had a meeting, it was a 15 or 20 people, and they said, pastor, we don't like the worship. We don't like the worship songs that we're singing right now. And this is probably about 10, 15 years ago. And he says, well, what kind of songs do you want to sing? And they said, the songs that we sang in the 70s and the 80s. All right? They wanted to go backwards. Now, tradition is important. All right? Tradition in the historical church, that's really important. But we as followers of Jesus, we need to begin to look forward. We need to look forward and, 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 and come into what God has for us. You see, when you walk backward into the future, you, one of the downsides is that you miss the signs uh, and, and you miss warning signs. You miss the guardrails uh, that help keep you uh, on, the, on the path towards Jesus. Listen, a common thing that has happened to me over the last 19 years as I've been a pastor, as I've sat down with the man who's come to my office and said, Pastor, I want to meet with you. And he says, my wife just woke up one day and she says, I'm done. I want out of our marriage. I, I, I want to end our marriage. He says, I don't know 
what happened. Well, I know what happened. You walked backward into the future, all right? Your wife didn't wake up one day. You woke up and realized what happened. But I guarantee that there were warning signs. There was flashing red lights, right? Uh, Or or yellow lights. There were guardrails that, that, that begin to tell you that something is wrong. But when you're walking backwards, you can't see them. My question to you is, are you walking backward into the future? Are you ready to turn around and walk forward? I love what Erwin McManus says. He says, stop walking backward, start walking forward, and save nothing for the next life. Save nothing for the next life. So how do we leave a legacy? And how do we live a life worth leaving to our children and to our grandchildren? We do this, and this is what I want to talk about for the remainder of our time. We develop a Jesus-centered vision for our lives. We develop a Jesus-centered vision for my life. I'm gonna get really practical today. I'm gonna get about as practical as I get as a pastor. So I gave you a handout, all right? You got one as you walked in. We even filled in the blanks for you so that you could have some help and if you don't have a pen. But we're gonna walk through, through some things together. And if you don't have time to do it now while we're together, then I encourage you to take this home with you and develop a vision for your life. Oftentimes when we talk about vision, It's usually around an organization, right? I guarantee the business you work for, the business you own has a vision, all right? It has a vision of what kind of product they wanna sell, what kind of business they wanna be, what kind of values you wanna have. If you're a George Fox student, your school has a vision, all right? It doesn't matter. When we think of vision, we often think of an organization, but have you ever thought about a vision for your own life? A vision for who you are individually and who you are personally. Have you ever thought about having a vision for your family? About having a vision for your marriage? Remember, how you see the future determines how you seize the future. I believe every single one of us need a vision for our life. We need a vision for what God has so that we can step into what he wants for us. Oftentimes, people don't reach out uh, until they hit rock bottom because they have no vision in life. They're walking backwards into the future. And people often don't change until the pain it takes to change is, greater, is, is less than the pain it, uh, it is to stay where they're at. And so uh, I think it's important for us to develop that vision for the future, a Jesus-centered vision for a future. The first one is this. If you're writing, taking notes, you can write this down is identify the most important parts of who you are. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, before, you, I, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. You know that God created your identity when you were an embryo. Actually, before you were an embryo, God created your identity. And part of your life in discovering who you are as a follower of Jesus is discovering who God created you for and who he created you to be. And the reality is this, is that a lot of us, we don't just have one identity, we have multiple identities. Maybe a better way to say this is that we have multiple roles in our life. We wear many hats in our life. That that you are a complex being that is made up of several different roles. 
And, and the more you mature and the more you go through life, the more roles that you begin to have in your life. It becomes more and more complex. And the harder it is to have continuity in those roles. So, so here's what I want to do. On your handout, I gave you a pie chart. A pie chart. And I'm going to walk you through the roles in my life. I don't expect you to write mine down. I expect you to write yours down. All right, but I'm gonna give you the most significant roles in my life. Something that I developed 17 years ago that I began to look at my life and I, I, I did, uh, uh, began to look at the end of my life and identified who I am. So the first thing is this, who I am is that I am an individual. A lot of people know me as dad, or I've got four kids that know me as dad. A lot of people know me as pastor. Uh, some of my staff know me as their boss and their pastor. Uh, some people know me as their friend. Uh, but when I lay my head down at night on the pillow and it's just me and God, who I am, am I? Right? I am Aaron, I am a, a son of God, I'm a child of God, I'm an individual, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's that, kind of that personal part of who I am. But not only am I an individual, I'm also a husband. In 2002, my wife and I got married. This June, it'll be 20 years of marriage. Come on, somebody. We've been married longer than we haven't, right? Is that about right? Pretty close. Um, so I became a husband, all right, in that moment. And so all of a sudden, I adopted a new role for my life that I frankly didn't really know how to fulfill when we were young, but, uh, but I, I accepted that role. In 2006, I became a father. All right, I had, we had our first child, uh, and that's another role. You, you understand how it, you get more and more complex. So not only am I an individual, am I Aaron, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father. Um, the, the next one uh, is... Um, is I'm a son, all right? Uh, the, the next one is what I do. I'm a pastor. Uh, most of you know me as pastor. That's what I get to do. I'm also um, a manager. Uh, I oversee people, and I'm also a scholar, uh, meaning that I love to be a student of the word and study the Bible. It's how I experience God most is when I read the scripture and I study the scripture. And so this is who I am. If you were to take my life, like this is it. This is the most important things that I do. These seven things, the most important things that I do. And here is what is critical. What you put in the center of your life will shape and inform every aspect of what you do and who you are. What you put in that center. Now I just happen to put Jesus in that center. Because as a, as a manager, I want to be focused on Jesus, right? Everything, as a pastor, I want to preach Jesus. As a father, I want to share Jesus with my kids. And it's important to have Jesus at the center because I guarantee everyone, you have something at the center. Maybe you just don't know yet. But it's important for Jesus to be at that center. This is really important for me. I will tell you why. Because I... Uh, uh, do a job or have a vocation that if I am not the same person at home that I am at church, it causes problems for my family. In fact, some of the most hurt that I've heard comes from pastor's kids, we call them PKs, who grew up in a home where dad was one person on stage and another person at home. You see, I wanna be the same person at 
at every single one. Do I get it right 100% of the time? No. But I have a goal and I have a vision and I have a plan that I believe God wants me to step into. And when I put Jesus at the center, there's continuity between every aspect of my life. So identify who are you? What are the roles that you fill in your life? The second thing is this, is start with the end. Start with the end. Start with the end of your life. I don't know if you've ever done this, but the first time I did this was when I read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I don't know if Stephen Covey came <laughs> up with this. <laughs> um, but, but he has you do this exercise to think of your funeral. Think of your memorial. And think of the things that you want the people closest to you, you to say about you. And I did that 17 years ago. And when I did that, I began to go through each one of the roles that I have in my life and began to think what I want people to say about me at my funeral. You know what never showed up on it was how much money I had or how much was in my bank account, all right? And it just, just really allowed me to think of the priorities in my life and what is absolutely most important. I like what Psalm 92 says about the end of our lives. He says, the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. How many of you want to produce fruit in your old age? You want to produce fruit in your old age. You want to be godly in your old age age. I wanted to uh, just share with you and let you in on something very personal to me. I'm going to share with you the vision that God gave me for my life. Can I do that with you? Now, I just want to do that to give you an example of what you can do for each role in your life. So this is my personal mission statement. I wrote this 17 years ago. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, it's been a while since I looked at this, um, but I added to it as I added the roles into my life. And so my personal mission statement is this. My mission is to live with integrity, character, and purity in all aspects of my personal and professional life and to make a difference in the world. And I took each one of my role and began to ask God, God, give me a vision for this role. As an individual, I will keep my relationship with Jesus Christ the center of everything I do. I will strive for excellence in all areas and not pursue success, position, or financial gain at the expense of my family or other relationships. As a husband, I will love my wife as Christ loves the church and be an example of a godly marriage. I will lay down everything to live up to the promise and commitments that I have made. As a father, I will raise my children with grace and truth, always seek to make our home a place of peace. As a pastor, I will lead others to experience the same saving relationship I have with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will treat all people with dignity and respect regardless of how they treat me. I will choose to shape culture rather than be shaped by culture. As a manager, I will seek to understand then be understood. I will lead from biblical principles. I will respond to others with maturity and wisdom I'm not responding out of emotion or feelings. As a scholar, I will seek to learn and grow in wisdom and knowledge. I will pursue mentoring relationships that I can learn from and those that I can invest in. Why do I share that with you? Because I wrote that 17 years ago, and it's a constant reminder of the kind of man that I want to be, the kind of pastor I want to be, the kind of person I want to be. Start with the end. 
Start with the end. Evaluate each one of those roles. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Aaron, uh, how do I start with the end when I have a bad beginning? Let me tell you something. People don't remember beginnings. People remember endings. And what I do as a pastor, just think about it. People don't remember how I started. People will remember how I finish as a pastor. Are you with me? People remember Paul for how he finished. He ran the race, he fought the fight, and he was faithful to the end. So it doesn't matter if you feel like you've messed up in your life. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're behind. It doesn't matter if your kids are out of the house and you think, oh man, I just didn't do well as a parent. It, it is not too late to start now. If you're not dead yet, then you should have a vision for your life. Somebody say amen. You should have a vision for your life. Start with the end. Here's the third one. Start with the end and then evaluate the present, where you're at today. Evaluate the present. You know, the Bible is not opposed to self-awareness and self-examination. In fact, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. Ask yourself this question. Are the decisions that I'm making today leading me to the legacy that I want to leave? Self-awareness is a key to growth. Self-deception will keep you in the place that you're in longer than you want to be there. The more honest you are with where you're at in every aspect of your life, the, the, the greater ability that Jesus can change that area. Listen, you can't manage in your life what you're unwilling to recognize, and God won't heal what you're unwilling to expose to him. And it's in those moments of self-evaluation, and does my life reflect God's plan for my life? Is the decisions I'm making now reflect what he wants for me? And we can evaluate, and we can look, and we can expose those things to Jesus. When you're faced with decisions and opportunities, someone came up to me after this message last gathering and said, Aaron, I'm at three crossroads and I don't know which way to go. If you have decisions to make in your life, if you don't have a vision, then you'll be more confused of what decision to make. But if you have a vision for your life, what God has designed and destined for your life, then all of a sudden your decisions become clear. And I don't say they become easy, but they become easier. And the last one is this, is to make wise decisions. When you have a vision for your life, decisions become clear and you can walk in them in confidence. I don't know how long you've been at our church, but I just did a series a while ago and we talked about God's will and God's calling for our life. And I brought you to the verse where Paul says, God's will for you is to be holy. When the Bible talks about the will of God, it doesn't have anything to do with what you do. It all has to do with who you are as a person. And so sometimes when there's options and choices, God gives us freedom to walk in that as a follower of Jesus. Are you with me? So it's more important to think about who you are and who God has designed you to be than what you are to do. Proverbs says this, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. The plans and promises of God are many fold over your life. When you read through the scripture, I encourage you to underline the promises of God and the plans of God. But let me tell you this, the promises of God happen in your life when you take hold of them. They don't happen by accident, they happen by obedience. They happen by making wise decisions towards the direction that God has for your life. So the last decision I wanna ask you and leave you with is this. Will I live the life, I, will the life I live be the legacy I wanna leave? Will the life I live be the legacy I want to leave? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? As we started this series six weeks ago, we started with putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I thought it would be appropriate for us to end our time together in this series with putting our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. The reality is this, that it's so easy for us to move Jesus out of the center of our life. Maybe some of you have never made the decision. Maybe some of you have. But maybe he's not the center of everything. Maybe you've just given parts of your life to Jesus. But maybe in this moment, it's time to put Jesus back in the center of your life. To put Jesus back on the throne of your life. To invite him back into your life and let him direct your life. And to put your faith and trust back in him once again. In a moment, I want to ask you to lift your hand. But, but I want to ask you, is that you? Is something else filling the center of your life? Is it time to put Jesus back in that place in your life? If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just ask that you lift your hand up. You say, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. Just go ahead and slip up your hand. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hands in the back. I see your hand to my right. Anyone else? I see your hand right here. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And God, I pray that, that, that we continually put you in the center. And those who just lifted their hand, Lord, I pray that you give them the courage and the confidence to walk in your plans and promises. Whatever they're facing in their life, whatever moment, whatever struggle, whatever battle, God, I pray that you give them the victory. You give them your spirit to empower them to live the life that you've called them to. Jesus, ultimately, we give you glory and we give you praise and we give you honor. We love you, Lord. And we praise your name. And everyone said, amen. amen.